here we are in part four of our sermon series, Encounters with Jesus, part four. And you know, we've studied the incredible encounters with Jesus, how it transformed the lives of the people in the Bible. We started off with Nicodemus, and then we went to the Samaritan woman at the well, and then we went to the two disciples on the way to Emmaus. And we saw that in every single one of those instances, the encounter with Jesus was earth-shaking. It changed their life and perspective forever. And that's what happens when you come face-to-face with the Lord. And today, we're going to see the encounter with Peter, with Peter, uh, that great disciple, uh, that great, passionate man. You could always count on his passion. It was ever-present. Uh, he, he had a drive to succeed that was incredible. He loved commanding the boat crews on the Sea of Galilee. He loved hard work. He loved the Lord. In fact, he even had an affinity with the Sea of Galilee uh, that reflected in his tempestuous, unpredictable nature. And that is Peter. You understand? That is Peter, and Jesus understood it. And Peter remembered, you see, the first time he laid eyes on the Lord and how he came to his own nickname. Andrew had been with John the baptizer as a disciple uh, for a number of months, and then he sent word home that the Messiah would be appearing soon. And so Jesus greeted Peter uh, with the customary embrace and a quick kiss on either cheek, And as he did that, but before removing his hands uh, from Peter's shoulders, he shook him firmly uh, and said, Simon, son of Jonah, I think I will call you Cephas, which is Peter in Greek. You are solid as a rock. I think that referenced his physical countenance, his strength. He was a solid guy. Uh, And so... Peter will go on to have some great encounters with Jesus. But despite the counters, he will still fall short of the mark until he has the one last great encounter. And there's such lessons here for us as we study today to do this. Look at Matthew 14, verse 25. One of the first encounters. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Don't you love Peter? If it's you, Lord, tell me. You tell me to come to you on the water. Jesus replied, come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. What a great passage this is. As you see, the the surface faith of Peter, the superficial faith. I see you, Jesus, call me. I want to come out there with you. And so Jesus calls him, and he begins to walk 
on the water, and this is how we are. Our faith is nascent in many ways. It's developing. We're not fully uh, mature yet. And as he walked, he didn't have the deep faith that God wanted him to have. And then he began to sink below the waves and asked God to save him, and God did. did. But this demonstrated the confidence that Peter had with his relationship with Jesus. Um, and this is important for us. Jesus, once again, after this, would test Peter and his faith. He's constantly testing. He's trying to strengthen him. He's trying to make him a leader. And he asked him, who do people say I am? And look at Matthew 16, verse 15. Well, what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? In other words, I know you can tell me what other people say, but who do you say? What do you say? What's your testimony about me? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now, I want you to reflect on this man, this fisherman, walking around with this prophet from Nazareth, realizing that this man from Nazareth is, in fact, the son of God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, this is a very much misunderstood uh, scripture. Uh, and some of our friends in other denominations have taken this to mean that Peter is the head of the church. Peter is the rock of the church. Well, any of you who have studied scripture would understand why Peter could not be the rock of the church, because we see his failures. Only Christ is the rock of the church. Only Christ is on whom we send our church. Uh, and that's why we worship Christ. That's why he's the head of our church. Yes, we exalt Peter. We lift him up. He's a great teacher uh, and a great apostle. But he is not the head of the church. Only Jesus Christ himself is the head of the church. Uh, and you see that and understand that here, as you will see the encounter continuing. Peter had to feel pretty good at this point, don't you think? Jesus is saying only God himself told you this, but this lofty place of honor uh, did not last very long. And that's what you learn as human beings, that while we have these ups, that shortly thereafter we will have these downs. That's what the walk with Christ is all about. And that's what this lesson is about, that even as you fail, you fail Jesus, that he lifts you up and calls you and carries you. Uh, and so Jesus began to reveal to his disciples that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the rulers, the experts in the law, and that he would be killed and on the third day be raised. Jesus told them all of this. It wasn't going to be a surprise what Jesus went through. He told them the scriptures were full of this. Look at Matthew 16, 22, and see the response of Peter to this message. Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, 
This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Can you imagine speaking like that to one of your disciples? Can you imagine? But that's God, you see? God sees our inadequacy. God sees the fact that here was Peter who didn't truly understand the call of God. From the beginning of time, from the beginning of creation, it was determined by God that Christ himself would die on a cross for our sins. He would have to die. He would be the once and for all perfect sacrifice. And Satan would like nothing better than to have Jesus deviate from that call. And so here's Satan using one of the people closest to Christ to get him to reconsider this. But God called him out. God knew it. So here you go. You go from the highs of you are the Messiah to the lows of no, this can never happen to you. All right? Being used by Satan. And you understand this is the human condition. And so following that statement, you see, Peter learned about the truth of leadership in the kingdom. What is leadership in the kingdom about? Look at Matthew 16, verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Jesus, what are you saying here? Uh, We must deny ourselves. We have to take up the cross. We have to follow you. And if we try to save our lives, we will lose our lives. Yes, yes. That's the message for you today. It's as true today. If you live in a world in which all you're trying to do is lift up your life here in this world, your personal possessions, your affluence, your relationships, that's all you care for, it will be for naught. It will be for naught. But if you give your life to God, if you give it to Christ and walk with him, then you will find your life. Your life will be richer than you ever thought about as God will develop all these relationships and give you everything you need. And so you see here, Peter was thoroughly rebuked, yet he continued to remain with the Lord. He continued to resolve to follow Jesus until his death. Now, on the very eve of Jesus' arrest in Gethsemane, he encouraged his disciples to love one another, to be there with one another. Let it be their distinguishing characteristic. And I would say, for me in this church, that's our characteristic. We love each other. We show our love each other. When you come into this church, we embrace you, uh, and we pray for you, and we lift you up. That's what God wants from us. This is the call of God. This is what he told his very disciples. But he prepared them, you see, for the difficult days ahead. There are going to be hard days ahead. Uh, And so he told them specifically. It's amazing how specific the Lord was. Look at Matthew 26, verse 31. Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, and there's a a direct citation from Zechariah, 
indicating what would happen to the Messiah uh, and his disciples. And there it says, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Now, there it is. God didn't beat around the bush. The Lord didn't beat around the bush. You're going to all run away from me. You're not going to be near me. You're not going to be able for me to rely on you. You're all going to be scattered. But after I rise, after I rise, uh, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Well, again, Peter refuted the Lord. And you have to love this guy, don't you? You know, I know Jesus. You're, you're God, but mm, I know better about me. I really know me. You know, you don't really know me the way I know me. I want you to know. And look what he says here. Uh, and there it's in Matthew 26, verse 33. You've got to love the guy. you just got to love the guy. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. I never will. Well, we know what happens 24 hours later as they arrest Jesus. And he's outside of the very room where they arrest him. And he's confronted three separate times by people. We know you. You're one of them. No, 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 no. No, no, no. I saw you with him. No, you're mistaken. No, I know it's you. And finally, what does he do? He curses and blasphemes to prove I'm not one of them. I'm not one of them. And he denied him three times. He denied him. Uh, and, and what an incredible thing. You, can you imagine what that had to be like to see the reality of your own imperfection, to see the reality of your own failure? Then God wants you to see this. God wants you to know it's not your faith that you're relying on. You have to rely on the faith of the Lord. That's what you need to rely on. Uh, and, and I'm sure Peter reflected upon what Jesus had said in Luke 22, verse 31. Think about this. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Now, I want you to reflect on what Jesus said. I knew you're going to fail me. I expect you to fall and fail me. I expect you not to be there for me, but I'm praying, you see, that Satan will not sift you as wheat. Uh, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Now, Jesus didn't say, I've prayed for you, Simon, that you not be tempted. He didn't say that. I pray for you, Simon, that you not fall. He didn't say that. Instead, he prayed for him that his faith would be strengthened. Why? Because Jesus understands that we have to see our own inadequacies. So many of us think that we're, we're impervious to the things of this world, that we'll never fall, that we'll never have sin. And instead, God wants you to know you're made of flesh. You're going to fail. You're going to fall. You're not going to be there all the time for the Lord, and the Lord knows it. Uh, and so you see that. Strengthen your brothers. I'm praying for you. It's not about your own ability. It's about your faith in Christ himself. That's going to carry the day because as you lift up yourself, you will fail. What a lesson that is. Look, to people of good conscience, uh, there is no judge, jury, or executioner more severe on us than our own viewpoint. 
Peter had to sit in a festering solitude for several days uh, after Jesus was crucified as he returned alone to Bethsaida. You can imagine what that had to be like, sitting there recognizing, oh, my Lord, I failed you. After everything I've said, I'm miserable. I'm lost. I'll never be a fisher of men. I'll never be used for the kingdom of God. Even though I walked with, the, with God himself, I have failed. And so, yes, Peter had failed. Uh, at a significant time when Jesus was arrested. Uh, he disappeared from his company. He couldn't stand to be around. He didn't want anybody else to see him, even though he painfully acknowledged that he was alone during this period of time. However, Jesus still loved Peter. What a great message that is on Father's Day. Uh, Jesus still loved Peter, just as your father loves you, even as you fall even as you fall, even as you're not as committed as you want to be. Uh, and so uh, Jesus would have one other dramatic encounter with Peter. Uh, and this would take place after the disciples would be fishing. This is after Jesus has been resurrected. Uh, and some days after that, shortly uh, after this encounter, the Lord will ascend to heaven. And so the disciples are fishing. They're fishing on the Sea of Galilee. And so as the men rowed their boats into the deep and put down their nets, uh, night gave way to dawn, and they caught no fish, nothing, uh, even though they had labored. Uh, and so they had gone to a familiar spot uh, on, off the shore uh, where they could groom the nets and prepare for the next day and let the nets dry out. But a warm flicker of orange appeared on the shoreline, uh, and they realized it was a fire. And they saw a shadowy figure on the shoreline. And they didn't know who it was. And then the shadowy figure calls out to them uh, and, and says to them, children, you don't have any fish, do you? You see, it was the Lord. Jesus then told them to cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat and that they would find fish. Amazingly, just as the Lord had said, they hauled in a huge catch a fish, 153 fish. Jesus is one heck of a fisherman. That's what you see about the Lord. He can do it all. Uh, he cares about you. He doesn't just care uh, about your spiritual life. He cares about your physical life, too. He cares about what you need. He sees your needs, and you see this. And so here he is doing this to the disciples. Well, Peter jumps out of the boat. Why not? What would you expect? Slogged his way across the beach to find Jesus tending a charcoal fire. Jesus was making breakfast. How about that? Jesus loves you so much that he would actually make your breakfast. I am stunned when I think of, of God himself stooping to us and taking care of our needs even to that level. And so Peter was trying to forget about his failure. He didn't want to think about what he had done, how he had failed miserably, how all of his great thoughts and protestations had disappeared uh, before his failure. And so, even as he's trying to forget his failure, Jesus finally breaks the silence with a simple question. And this found in John 21, verse 15. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? 
meaning the other disciples, do you love me, Peter? I just want to know, do you love me more than all of these other disciples? Well, the word that John used there for love was agape. That is the most profound kind of love. It is a deep love, really unknown by human beings. Uh, it is wrapped, it is not wrapped in emotion, it is wrapped in the most profound, deepest, sincerest type of love that God has for us. Agape love loves God first, loves neighbor as self, and loves enemies and friends alike. That is agape love. Uh, it is an expression of the highest form of service to God. Far from being impetuous, agape is a love that grows out of commitment. Uh, the question stung Peter. It stung him that Jesus would say this. It grieved him deeply. Uh, and I'm sure it was a question that he asked himself a thousand times since the night that he failed Jesus uh, and denied Christ uh, and punctuated that night with curses. And so this had a sting deeply. Uh, the added comparison by Jesus, more than these, was also deeply poignant. More than these. Have you proven that you love me more than these? Because you need to see this yourself. This was all about Jesus elevating Peter. This was about Jesus taking a man off the trash heap of life. This is about Jesus taking someone who had fallen and failed miserably and says, I love you, I care for you, there's a place for you in the kingdom. And Peter answers there in John 21, verse 15, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus replied, tend my lambs. Oh, tend my lambs. As the Lord is giving him a direction for the rest of your life. Yes, you failed me, Peter, but there's a place for you in the kingdom. Tend my lambs, meaning tend those who are going to be called to Christianity. Tend those new Christians who are being called to salvation. I need you to do that. Tend my lambs. Now, the invitation came really as a surprise to no one but Peter. He no longer felt qualified to be a fisher of men. No longer he had failed miserably. After all, how was he going to teach other people when he had failed so miserably himself? Have you ever felt that way? I know I have. I've looked at my life at some of the mistakes that I've made, and I've been embarrassed. And I would say, God, how could you ever use me, Lord? How could I get up and preach to other people when I failed you so miserably? Yet God says, I love you. I love you. Feed my sheep. Tend my sheep. What a message that is to us today, especially so on this special day. Uh, and so, yes, Peter had given his life for more than three years to serve the Lord. Yet when crisis came, all of his human dedication was meaningless, you see. Meaningless as he failed. And so Jesus repeats the question again, because Jesus is going to ask this question three times. Why three times? Because Peter failed the Lord three times. And so three times, Jesus is going to elevate Peter, pull him off of the trash heap of life, and show him that there is a purpose in this call. So there he says, he repeats it again, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter replied again, yes, Lord. You know that I love you, Jesus replied again. Take care of my sheep. 
meaning now I want you to take care of the mature Christians, not the, not the early ones, the ones that are called now the mature ones. Take care of my sheep. Uh, and Jesus said a, a third time, Simon, this is the third time. This is a private conversation. You can imagine the pain that this is with Peter, one-on-one -on -one with the Lord. We know that John was nearby and heard it, but nobody else really did. Uh, and so Jesus said a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Because Jesus wants you to look deep in your heart. He wants you to examine yourself. He wants you to see the call on your life. Have you really committed yourself? This is the encounter with the Lord as he says, I want you. I want you to be with me. Do you love me? And he's asking you that today. Do you love me? At this point, Peter was grieved. He's aggravated. It's bad enough I had to go through that three times. Three times, you're going to say this to me? And so he responds now to the Lord. Lord, you know all things. This is in John 21, verse 17. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus responded, tend my sheep. Tend my sheep, meaning take care now. Take care of my sheep. Take care of my church. Take care of the gospel. This is an absolutely amazing encounter between the Lord and Peter. And Jesus had deliberately asked this question three times in order to pull Peter off the trash heap of life, to show him that he cared, to show him that he had forgiven him, to show him that there was life after failure and denying. Jesus was bringing Peter back to greater service for the kingdom of God. He wanted Peter to know that that failure would not be the end. It would only be the beginning. This is a message for the church. Yes, we have all fallen short. Yes, we've all failed. Listen, do you think I could get up here and preach if I reflected on the mistakes of my life? Impossible. But instead, I know I've been forgiven. I know I'm called. I know I'm anointed. And I know my responsibility is to feed my sheep, to tend my sheep. That's the responsibility I have. So I don't dwell on the past. I don't dwell on the failings. Instead, I dwell on the future. And Jesus would then say something to Peter that was so profound that was for his ears only in John 21, verse 18, where he said to them, right then, very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. And here's the thing. After this is all over and Jesus ascends into heaven, Peter rededicates his life. Peter will then go to Rome to preach the gospel of Rome and Peter will be crucified in Rome, but when he's crucified, he's, he's asked then to be crucified upside down because he said he's not worthy to be crucified the way the Lord was. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Uh, and so what you see here, you no longer are going to do your own thing. You're not going to dress yourself. You're not going to go where you want. And church, this is a message for you. You've committed yourselves to the Lord. I want you to recognize something. It's no longer you getting up in the morning and saying, I'm going to do X, 
I'm going to do Y. I want to go here. I want to go there. Instead, you're going to ask God, Lord, you open the doors. You direct my paths. You tell me where you want me to go. Where do you want me to go? And I thank God that he's brought you here to this church. Because here our responsibility is to lift you up and to strengthen you and to give you purpose and direction just as Jesus did uh, with Peter. Uh, and so here you see, here is Peter, repulsed by his own pride, uh, repudiated by his own pride. Uh, and he would endure prison and he would endure, per, endure persecution. Uh, and, and so even though he was an extraordinary guy in so many ways, the Lord would take him off the salvage heap of life. This is an important message for us today as a church. You all have been called uh, by the Lord as well. Every single one of you who's saved has been called by the Lord. Your calling is unlike any, any other person's. He's called you for a singular reason. You need to ask him what the purpose is in life. And so I would ask you to consider three important lessons uh, from the call of Peter as the Lord brought him back into service for the kingdom. First, uh, when the Lord offers an opportunity to transform futility into fruitfulness, be open to change. When God shows you that he can move you and salvage you, be open to it. Be ready to accept it. Don't dwell on the pain of the past. Don't look for a burning bush, you understand, or necessarily an audible uh, voice. Instead, be ready for those silent impulses that the Holy Spirit gives you in his life. Be ready and your destiny will unfold. Second, when Jesus plans to move you uh, in a new and challenging direction, even as he did here with Peter, uh, expect a period of deep soul searching. God wants you to do that. He wants you to prepare. Look into your heart. Are you prepared to walk with Peter? Uh, walk with the Lord as, as you do this. Uh, Peter, uh, Peter's call came as the humiliation of failure was all around him and echoed in his head. Don't be stuck in the humiliation of failure. God has delivered you from that. Look to the cross. Third, when the Lord makes it clear that you are to follow him in a new direction, focus on him and refuse to be distracted. Don't worry about what other people say or what their comments will be. You stand alone. You walk to the cross when you're called by Christ. Uh, and the evidence of Peter's life and the change is all over the book of Acts. And I'm going to prove it to you uh, with, with this one citation. And so shortly after Jesus would ascend, uh, on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit would descend on the church uh, and would touch uh, the church, Peter would go down to the streets right below the upper room. He would go down the streets, and there were thousands of Jews gathered there in the streets. And I want you to see this man who basically 60 days before was on the trash heap of failure. But the encounter by Jesus changed him forever. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 22, at what I call one of the greatest sermons in the Bible. And here is Peter now, this man who failed terribly. Here is Peter now, underneath the upper room, speaking to thousands of Jews on the streets of Jerusalem. And there he says, fellow Israelites, listen, this is Acts 2, verse 22, Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, 
which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Is this the same guy? Is this the same man who blasphemed and cursed 60 days before? And yet when you come face to face with Jesus Christ and he looks into your eyes, your life would never be the same as he removed the pain of failure and he gave him a new call in his life and that's what God has for you today. Peter would never be the same. And I pray for you today that when you reflect on this message, that you reflect on what God is saying to you, that you also will never be the same. Amen, church? I've asked my friend, Pastor Hayes, to do a closing prayer on this sermon. Thank you, John. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that the pastor who stands in this pulpit loves your word and loves your flock enough to commit to teach the word, to preach the word, and to live the word. Lord, we ask that this, this godly pastor have a blessed time of study and refreshing, that he would be able to rest in your presence by still waters, and that you would fill him, Lord, with fresh vision for the future. Lord, we believe that like Peter and James and John, you give leaders to us, you give teachers and prophets to us. And as Jeremiah said in, in the word that he is not hurried away from being a shepherd after God. So Lord, we, we commit him to you and Linda that you'd bless their time and speak to them. And Lord, I, all of us would say that like Peter, we have failed, we have disappointed you, we have sinned, Lord. We're not rocks, we're just slimy mud sometimes. Oh God, fill us with conviction, but also the confidence that we know that when we draw near to you, you hear us at the throne of grace. And you give us your help because of your mercy and your grace in time of need. Lord, if there's someone here today that has not followed you, draw them to yourself, Lord. Draw them to the cross. Point them to the empty tomb of the Lord Jesus Christ, our risen Savior. Save them, Lord. And those who know you and love you and follow you, Lord, give deep, deep, quiet assurance that they are your children and that you've given them your spirit within. You've given to us, Lord, that precious Holy Spirit. We love you, Lord, and praise you in Jesus' name.